We are ex-Overland, and over the past 10 years, my wife and I have established a business doing what we love. Throughout the last 10 years, we have built over 20 Overland vehicles that have taken us and our team around the world as we film our adventures. My name is Clay Croft, and I am the founder and CEO of ex-Overland. On this podcast, we take a deep dive beyond what the camera can capture to offer you as much insight into the world of Overland travel as possible. The X-Overland podcast is brought to you by Onyx Off-Road. In pursuing adventure and traveling farther and exploring more to find the special places we're seeking, here at X-Overland, we rely on the state-of-the-art in navigation. That's why Onyx Off-Road has become our go-to digital tool to plan and execute a successful, safe experience when the team heads out for an adventurous weekend or an extended overland journey here in the U.S. of A. Use the code XOverland to get 20% off your subscription today. Welcome, everybody, to the XOverland podcast. I'm host Jimmy Lewis, and with me today is Clay Croft and Tanner Johnson. And we are here to talk about trucks, and in particular, our Gen 3 2022 Tundra Orion. So, guys, this should be a fun conversation because we're going to get into everything that we've experienced in building out this newest generation of Tundra. Yeah, it is a good story because um, it comes from good partnerships with Toyota. Uh, we we were excited to build a new truck. Exo has always been trying to build the the latest, greatest to the best of our abilities. So when the new Tundra came out, it was really exciting. It is still exciting. It's still fresh, still very fresh. Um, and the Tundra, we, we had just recently had sold our other Tundra, a 2018 Trinity, which was the name of that one, 2018 Platinum Edition. We had built that one out to really replicate a 200 series Land Cruiser with a pickup bed on it which we ended up putting a P-Core on because of the engine, the powertrain, all that stuff really, mm-hmm. and the a huge cab size of, of the previous generation of Tundra that really suited us well um, as a team, making movies, traveling. And we built it as a tour, and it worked really, really well. Like As much as we would fight over the backseat of, <laughs> say, like the 200 Series Land Cruiser, you could argue that people fought even more over the backseat of the Tundra to be in the back there. So it's really great as a touring vehicle. Now, if you're going to get into the discussion, is it the best trail vehicle? No, it's got a long wheelbase, but it does. It'll still do it. It was oh, yeah. amazing what we could do with the other Tundra. Yeah. And this new one is is the same, but it's really what really catches our eye about the Tundra is the people hauling, the livability of like the long duration uh, overland travel lifestyle versus like technical trail. So yeah, that's what we were thinking about when we got got to here. And then so when we developed our partnership with Toyota, they were very excited about um, us running a Tacoma, a Forerunner, and the new Tundra. Mm-hmm. So we were like, sweet. Well, we'll focus on the new Tundra because that's also what we want to do too. And then there's a whole story about how we got this truck (laughs) tanner do you know that story um i don't know if i could tell it as good as clay can (laughs) tell it from the shop manager manager's perspective and i just remember all the buzz around this truck arriving but not really being able to nail down you know when it was coming (laughs) um but uh yeah so what what did that look like from your perspective uh i mean we had certain requirements that we wanted we wanted something because we're going to wrap our trucks so ideally we get a dark color black gray or white because you can't wrap inside of an engine bay and inside of door jams as easily Mm -hmm. uh we didn't want a big panoramic moon roof because we're going to be putting a roof rack on it so there's requirements like that and then it turned out that toyota themselves really struggled to find that exact I mean, it was pretty specific. Um, And the one that they did find was bright fire engine red. So (laughs) it was like the, I mean, it it worked though. It it, it was a little more challenging to cover the red, but. And expensive, but yeah, I mean, that's what, yeah, it just boiled down to you just wrap it. 
Yeah. yeah. It's going to get and, wrapped. And, you know, so. in Toyota's defense, too, like, I, if you went down to our local Toyota dealership right now. There's try, not one there. No. Exactly, right? Yeah. With the, the supply chain issues and everything yeah. we've dealt with the past yeah. couple of years. Yeah. The yeah. fact they found yeah. one at all um, <laughs> is impressive. And it, it speaks so much to their commitment to us. Yeah. And the other entertaining part of it was the... There was no ETA or delivery day on it. I mean, we kind of had an idea, but we were sitting right here at this table starting our normal Tuesday morning meeting, and all of a sudden, I asked, I literally asked Rochelle, I was like, hey, Rochelle, have you heard anything about our new Tundra when it's coming? And she was standing here, and she started to answer it. It was like, oh, I'm going to talk to... Co-. And then she paused, and she pointed, and she's like, there it is. And there's a flatbed <laughs> truck pulling in with a red Tundra on the back. I was like, oh, no. Oh, right on. There it is. It's like, yes. No, we gotta go. <laughs> oh man, and we scrambled because we wanted to film the arrival, yeah. and, and so it was like, grab cameras, grab this, you know. And then so we rushed out there to pick it up. Yeah, no. uh, it was the third third truck or fourth truck we had passed on three others to give Toyota their credit, yeah. uh, but they all had the panoramic room, sunroof, mm, yeah, which is cool. It, it's awesome, but we know that we were gonna put. You know, right. You big, can look at the big racks Orion yeah. behind you, know. you there and just see. Yeah. Yeah. If you're on YouTube, you can see it behind us here. And, and you know, we put a Prince rack on top because we wanted to carry. We wanted to utilize that real estate, and we wanted the security for long distance global travel of not having a, a roof made of glass. Yeah. Yeah. When we're yeah. putting a bunch of stuff on top. Yeah. So. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It, and it blocks the noise that the refract creates. I mean, there's definitely some factors there. Yeah. The moon roof was a big no-no. Thinking long term. It was like, ah, that's that's a that's a compromise that we weren't willing to make. We mm-hmm. can make a compromise on color, mm-hmm. but yeah, we need the structure of a metal roof. So that's we had other trucks that we had green, we had a black one, we had a gray one, and they had all the tech packages that we wanted. We wanted the tow mirrors, we wanted the JBL audio system, we want, you know things that matter. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment, right before we get into the the full hero build build of Orion. Um, we're picking a Tundra from Toyota. Yep. What kind of stock items are we looking for in a Tundra? Like how, sure. How, yeah, just what you were getting into, but I just want to make sure we, we cover that because some people, and they're not going to go all the way as far as we are, but they're going to want to know what we would want in a truck. Sure. Well, <clears throat> as you're looking at now, like at the time when we were ordering this truck, the hybrid was not available yet. There was not a hybrid that had rolled off the assembly line. So that wasn't an option for us. Okay. Um, the hybrid is a very cool version, and I think it's it's something that we would like to build very shortly as mm-hmm. well. But at the time of us getting this truck, wasn't available. So we were, okay, so that means anything else. So limited is really what we were looking at. There's platinum and then capstone. But frankly, it was so early in the process of the assembly line that there weren't very many of those available, but there was a lot of limiteds available, which was just fine because we wanted limited package with tow mirrors, the the media upgrade system, so the big monitor, mm-hmm. the good seats, heated and cooled seats, etc. And then uh, we also wanted it in the TRD off-road package. So that, that means four-wheel drive, factory rear locker, all the crawl control, multi-train select, etc., Mm-hmm. Um, which was really important as a baseline vehicle. That's an important distinction there, too, because a lot of people say, look at something like TRD, and they say, well, you know, why, why bother spending the money on that? You're just, you know, all you're upgrading to are tires and shocks, and so why not just buy a plane like an SR5 and then put your own shocks and tires on after the fact? But what I hear you saying is the TRD is way more than just shocks and tires, that there are a variety of features that even though we're going to put on our own uh, suspension system and we're going to put on 35-inch tires, there are features in that TRD that we would love to have if we could. Yeah, and that that boils down to the factory rear locker, the multi-terrain select. Uh, we know that the suspension is going to come off of it because we're going to overlay in the, the stock suspension. It's not designed for the weights that we are about to put on the right, truck. Right, which you can... Be, People can see behind you there. If yeah. you're watching this podcast, you can see the kind of weight that eventually we're at. Yeah. So <clears throat> for reference, if you're, if you're talking about building a, a zero to hero truck build, 
we're adding 800 to 1,000 to 1,200 pounds of payload, constant payload. Yeah. Uh, so these a lot of these trucks are rated for like, I was towing on this. We should look it up. Um, I think it's around 1,800 pounds of payload for the Tundra, if I'm not mistaken. So we're almost like all the way at its max payload, constant weight. Mm-hmm. So if you think, all right, well, I'm right. going to go put 12, 1,800 right. pounds of weight in the back of that bed, it's going to squat that suspension. It's capable of holding it, but it's not designed to run around town all day like that. Yeah, and that's because this is a dedicated overland build right. that we're eventually evolving this truck into. So, yep. yeah, yeah, that, that checks out. So we know we're going to replace the suspension for those reasons. Exactly. But we still, like, if we can have the technical features of the factory rear locker and the crawl control and those kinds of... Uh, features that assist yep. big time when we're off road, right? Oh, At OEM very, level, very advanced. Mm-hmm. Isn't the like the crawl control? Like I've seen some of our other episodes, um, in which it's almost like I think one of you guys like this is like cheating. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and very it got good. Even better. <laughs> you just have to be patient, and it'll get you out of the hole or yeah. something. Yeah, it it improved even more on this version with the new tech mm. that came out. Like uh, a lot of the. <clears throat> the ABS firing, you know, it sounds like a like a machine gun kind of going off yeah. on the older Da-na-na-na-na. system. Yeah, this this one has mitigated that. Uh, it's it's quieter. It's a better system. It's been improved. Uh, we did look up the maximum payload here. It's one thousand seven hundred and forty pounds for the limited uh, that we got. So we had seventeen hundred and fifty pounds for easy math of payload to work with, and we. We took. We're going to take it right there. I don't actually don't know the weight of the truck right now. So, and I'm not going to ask you guys how much you weigh, but I'm just going (laughs) to theoretically say if you have, let's say, five 200 pound plus dudes in the cab of that truck, right? Yep. Now we're talking over a thousand pounds of payload in humanity alone. Mm Yep. Before we even put on extra equipment on the truck. Exactly. So our our vehicles are over GVW. Part of that GVW rating is going to be in spring rates, but a lot of it has to do with frame design and braking capabilities and all that that they build into the spec. So we want to stay as close to maximum payload as possible, but we will go over it. Yeah, and that's why with everything we've ever built, we uh, we have to replace the suspension to accommodate those extra weights of a dedicated yep. overland build. Yep. Um, so, yeah, take nothing away t- um, from Toyota or any other manufacturer when it comes to that. Most people building an overland truck, a dedicated overland build, they're going to have to do that. Yes. We get into that in our build series videos and our blogs. We talk about all the theory behind that. And what's interesting to me is you know, we have an XO approach to building an overland vehicle. And this goes all the way back to when we began, and it's something that's evolved and gotten better and better and more refined. And we take that theory, and we're applying it to a brand new generation of Tundra. And so I think um, a lot of people are going to be very curious to know from you, both of your perspectives, what what did that look like with this new Gen 3? Because we're talking a brand new platform, um, very little time for aftermarket companies to adapt, adjust to what's going on here. So there's a lot of experimentation, right? Prototyping. Mm-hmm. Um, when we took our build theory and we applied it to the 2022 Tundra, what did that look like? A whole lot of unknowns on the page. (laughs) Tanner, was it a little bit anxiety-raising when when, uh, you started having to work on this truck? Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of unknowns, especially with fitment and stuff, because we're almost on all the builds. We're receiving the prototypes of bumpers of... You know, we we worked really closely with Alucab, and I think they literally had only one other Tundra, their own personal Tundra, of this generation that they had fitted an Alucab to. So we were having to make little cuts and trims and tweaks that they were telling us to do when we got ours. And same with, like, the front bumper. Um, I mean, there was some a lot of uh, struggle <laughs> getting that front bumper on just because the you know it just it's a very tight fit so mm-hmm. there's stuff like that that we deal with but i mean all in all it all went together and i mean it turned out great but yeah there's definitely some uh you know first what would you call it um 
what the term is early adopter yeah, yeah. hurdles yeah just growing pains <laughs> growing in a way pains, of yeah. like and we're, brand new build with brand new product we're, right, we're right. used to it yeah. you know uh it's it, it usually it's always solvable the the things that get you in trouble are stuff that's are built around sensors mm. uh because if it's mechanical, you know, you can, well, the tolerance on that front bumper from CBI was a little too tight at first, but that's part of the manufacturing process. You build them, you send yep. them into the the powder coater, the metal metallurgy changes, and it changes the tolerances. And by the time you get it back out, it doesn't quite fit the same. Here's your bumper, but we're going to go back and modify that for the next re- renditions of bumpers that we're going to sell. Yeah. Those things get changed down the line. And we're helping our partners out with that somewhat, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, like for is, sure. Is we're testing some of this. We do a whole bunch of R&D and give the feedback to yep. the, the companies that we work with. From, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you name it. Everybody. Right. Everybody. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, Toyota to CBI. Sure. To Surefire Flashlights. We yeah. are are doing you know, improvements and giving feedback there. But, uh, the biggest one that we were having to work around and we still are working around is the front air dam uh, on the, on the Tundra. And we're working with the the three top engineers at Toyota to, uh, figure out a workaround. And it's very, at the time of this podcast being recorded, we were very close to it being resolved. But it's one thing to resolve a problem for a special use case like Expedition Overland, and then it's another to make sure mm-hmm. that that re- resolution is good for the mass market and yeah. make sure it's in compliance with all the rules and laws and regulations that they have to abide by. Yeah. So that's a process, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good for people to be, become more aware of that, like oh, just man. how elaborate and how much legality just, is involved. I right? had no idea. Uh, uh, all the hurdles that all these companies have to go through, yeah, you know, from pedestrian strike standards, your fog lamps can't be more than so many inches off the ground, otherwise it's out of spec, and like, I mean, it's stuff like that, hmm. lists and pages and pages of stuff that they have to meet. So it's amazing in a lot of ways that the audio manufacturers are getting done what they are getting done. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So uh, agreed, yeah, and it's you know when when Toyota rolls out a TRD Pro. And it has all those features built in, OEM, like what it takes legally and technically to release that as a product with a warranty is incredible, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's way more sophisticated, I think, most people realize. Um, Exactly. So, yeah, speaking of tech, like we were talking about, like some of the the tech that's in the new Tundra. Um, It seems to me, guys, like that... When I think of like how vehicles have changed in the past, let's say ten years, ten to fifteen years, one of where every time I switch vehicles, one of the biggest upgrade areas I see is in the tech. Yep. Right. And, yeah. Um, so, uh, how are you seeing that with this vehicle, with the Tundra? There's a lot of safety tech that mm-hmm. has gone into these, which I'm all about. Oh but, yeah. You know, safety tech meaning sensors, anti-collision, lane departure. Mm. Um, you know, radar cruise control functionalities, uh, things like that. Uh, how it how it will stay straight in its anti-lock, like in a bad turn or something. Like if you lose the front end, how it'll actually keep the vehicle straight versus it spinning out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the the algorithm stuff that goes into making these trucks mm. safer, far far better than you could ever be as a driver. It's thinking. A lot of these sensors and the ECUs are at uh, computing at 250,000 times per second. So it's like they're they're catching stuff way before you ever could. You're seconds behind mm-hmm. what they're already doing. That checks out, and those algorithms have allowed them to evolve. You know, just like someone who's a trained race car driver drives every day, and so their skills just go, 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 right? Yep. Mm-hmm. The way an algorithmic situation piece of tech works is that just keeps getting better yep. with the, with the, all these data inputs. Yes, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, there's the comfort side too. Like the, the, the previous 2018 Tundra, man, it was, it was dated and it's it was, yeah. tech. And then there's a pretty major leap in this Tundra. Yeah. This one, this one had air conditioning seats too, right? Yeah. Like it's stuff like that. Oh, that's man. like, 
sounds all Gucci, but man, when you're down in like the deserts of Mexico, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> these things, when you're looking for a lifestyle truck that helps you thrive while you mm-hmm. travel, little things like that matter. I mean, like we were talking the other day, this is our home on those trips. It's yeah. just like being in your house that you have air conditioning and heated and like we live out of these for, you know, months on end. So having those features makes a big difference in just overall morale when you're out on a trip. Absolutely. Yeah. The thrive mindset, you know, which is one of our core values, right? With overlanding, it's like build your trucks, gear yourself up, develop your skills. So you're thriving while you're out there really enjoying yourself and you're really comfortable because we know if you're thriving, you can stay longer, do more, enjoy more. You're in a better headspace, better place overall health-wise. So it's like it's easy to dismiss those amenities, right? Be like, oh, yeah. Oh. But, but, but really, I, I find those little things, too, to, yeah. to really make a difference. They do. The comfort they do. Level. Oh, yeah. Well, and when you're on a big trip, if you're just out there to be on the trip and relax, I mean, yeah, you could do away with some of it. But when you add the filming on top of it, yeah. that's another, you know, double the workload other than just being on the trip. Right. So that is another reason that having those amenities really helps us keep doing our job and keep being efficient, not just, you know, wearing us down over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what else? We, you know, when it comes to the tech, the big screen, mm-hmm. uh, we we decided not to run any other external devices other than the big screen and use our mobile phones for all of everything else that we needed to do. The tech inside the dash is already really good. Uh, the GPS monitor system in the dash is really good. Plus, now with CarPlay, that introduces a whole bunch of other apps that we can interact with on the. the screen like yeah. for us on x obviously the navigation but then there's i mean a whole suite of apps that do more so we we really felt like we didn't want to add any more screens to this we wanted to keep it as simple as possible uh keep the the gauges just as clean as we could possibly do. Yeah. The only thing we added was we did add the red vision uh, display monitor, a secondary one. There's one in the back and there's one in the front. Yep. Um, and it's just tucked away nice and hidden and it looks like it's part of the factory build. Yeah, that was one thing that I was really trying for and I feel like we succeeded well is when you get in it, it feels factory. It doesn't feel like you have all these crazy screens and tablets and devices and switch systems all shooting you in the face it you kind of have to look like we got our ham radio mounted up where the sunglass holder would normally go Mm -hmm. because we don't use those but it's tucked up in there and we didn't have that wireless charger for your cell phones down in that little cubby area so we flush mounted the red vision switch system which is for our lights and everything we didn't have an s pod or switch pro or anything else and it feels very thought out and very factory and OEM. Like you kind of have to look to see where things are. Yeah. Yep. There's a real balance there, right? Cause I, I, something I've noticed when building out trucks and motorcycles and different things over the years is I'm starting to lean toward a less is more type of philosophy. For sure. Um, it's just easy to overdo. And some of the things you're not using as much as you thought you would. And, and just a cleaner, simpler look where the things that are in there, you really do use, and they're mm-hmm. right there where they can function clearly. They're not hidden by anything else. And I think the XO way of building our trucks to look factory inside, you're not seeing, like you said, too many devices all over the place. That just creates a clean feel and, and probably better drivability. I would agree. For sure. <clears throat> and there's nothing, you know, if you like a lot of stuff on your dash and you're like, I- I've been that guy. Yeah, you know, me I've, too. I've had oh, totally, me too. Two ham radios and three GPS <laughs> yep. devices and my sat phone plugged in down there. You know, I've, you know, hey, I was having a ton of fun. It was, it was yeah. great. But as we've done it more and more, you, you do just, it's the natural way of things, right? You just pair back. Yeah. You, you pare it down. Less and distractions. As the tech has gotten better, it's doing more for us. Whereas yeah. before we would need redundancy in certain things or, yep. or the GPS in this way didn't work so well. So we did more things, but now 
it's all just so good that uh, we are able to pare down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all built in. So why add it? Yeah, and it's just it's just useful to rethink yeah your setup every now and then because tech does change and you find some things that you don't need or that synthesize well so you can reduce in this other area. Um, and we evolve, right? We evolve. As overlanders yep. and yeah. you know, a lot it's of experience. Part of the, it's part of the fun. It's part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. we would we would call it forging here. Yes, you know, like we we tried this and then we hammered on it and we fold this over and we hammer it hammer it some more and we change some things. We're just forging our way, and what we do today will probably be will be different mm-hmm. than what we do tomorrow or next year as things adapt and change. Yeah, it's uh, part of just. That's how we become better, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I, I see Toyota doing the same thing with evolution of the the Tundra. Um, it's kind of fun to go back, like to, you know, think think of your first Toyotas with X Overland, the Tacomas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just think of what you know. What do you still see in the latest? generation of a toyota and what has changed um right because i mean that's like we we were building out those trucks um 15 years ago something like that right and there there's a toyota way that is in all of these trucks and it's it's how things are bolted together how things are clipped together how they're assembled which is the toyota corporation of toyota is known they've like invented the best ways of manufacturing and they you can see it from our old trucks to the new trucks how these are there's they still hold this ethos of really high-end quality manufacturing and when you tear them apart like we do mm-hmm. you see it we've tore apart jeeps we've tore apart rams we've fords and when you you go work on those and you go work on a toyota and you're like oh i get it yeah. Just simple you know. things like the dash trim panels. When you pull them off of a Jeep, like my old Jeep, I'd pull off this panel and half the clips would shatter and explode. And on a Toyota, I mean, I can have a panel off 10 times and it still clicks right back in the same way every time. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that adds up to my own experience with different brands, manufacturers, uh, as a consumer. And they're just as a Toyota feel. It's like why I think I'll have a Toyota with 120,000 miles and it still feels tight and mm-hmm. new. Like to yeah. drive it, it feels yeah. almost like when I bought it. Yep. Yeah. There's so there's a lot of that stuff that goes sight unseen that you would never know, and it's you know the rattles that you don't hear that you do hear in other truck aren't not that not to say that Toyotas don't have rattles and stuff, but it's just a whole lot less. Yeah. And they're pretty isolated through our experience. What I you know what I I think might be going on there, guys. Like what I hear you saying, and you know, thinking back to the first Toyotas we built and how. You can look at those and then look at this latest generation of Tundra, and they're just certain things that you see in the build quality. Is My guess is like Toyota, their overall theme and philosophy transcends any one particular CEO and how like someone wants to direct the company. Very much so. There is a massive amount of checks and balances that happens within the Toyota Corporation, especially within the engineers, mm-hmm. between the engineers to the manufacturing floor and how they go back and forth. Um, that Working with them closely over the last five years, but really over the last year in particular from working with Lexus and then now Toyota, um, you know, people can say, well, you know, Toyota is slow to come to market with some stuff. And I guess, yes, but man, when they come to market with something, it is just so incredibly well thought out. And it took a lot of time to do that because it's the Toyota way. Okay. Works. Yeah. yeah, totally makes sense. Which to the point of this podcast, um, to take something like that and then build it out, in our case, the XO way, right? Uh, but to build it out, period, right? I think there are a lot of people excited to get their hands on this truck, or maybe they already have this truck. I think it's one of the They're bigger. also a little scared about starting to build it. For sure. So what, what can we advise, how can we advise them to make sure they don't go, go wrong here? Well, uh, let me preface the build, the Tundra by repeating some stuff that I learned from Mike Swears, who is the lead engineer of the Tundra. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he was tasked from corporate to allow and actually pushed for this truck, the Tundra, to be a multi-platform frame. Uh, so the 300 series Land Cruiser, the Sequoia, and the Tundra 
all share commonality in their frame. There are minor differences, but the the logic and the thinking and the engineering had to go between those three platforms. So because that was a success, they did get it done. I remember him saying, this was at Overland Expo West, we went to a special um, discussion with him, and he was saying, this is like probably the hardest thing that we did on this platform, if I recall right. And it was the one thing he was also the most proud of, that it could share the platform. So with that in mind, you're going to start seeing some things, some logic that has changed in your vehicle build because it has to share a platform with two other mm-hmm. vehicles. The, the platform has to be shared with two other vehicles. Um, <clears throat> so that I, I would say there's some compromises that may have been made there due to, to do that, but then also there's some great... Um, improvements because of that. Yeah, I see an advantage there. If I'm an aftermarket company, now instead of three separate, totally separate platforms, like the 300 series, the Sequoia, the Tundra, I've got one platform for all. So if I'm building suspension, say, right, this this allows, I, I would think, for more focus, more refinement, less moving parts. Once you figure out that new platform, you've got it. Right yep. for for three different vehicle types, um, so I think yeah, it's brand new. There are things to figure out, but once you do, those are it's going to apply across you know three different vehicles. Exactly. So I think they could do a better, put more resources into that. Right? They did, and it allows like certain. We don't have to get all into it, but like. <clears throat> Sensors can be shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, metallurgy can be sh- shared. Wheel co- wheel design and wheel uh, requirements can be shared. Uh, stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah. But f- speaking specifically towards the Tundra, what we had to overcome was, obviously, it's, it's the generic stuff with new modern vehicles. It was the air dam in the front, which is a a a trim piece that sits under the front bumper and then as you reach certain speeds i think it's 20 miles an hour or higher it drops down and it it you would i I don't know the technical term for it but it, it essentially prevents a lot more air from moving under the vehicle which causes a lot of drag mm-hmm. so all of these manufacturers doesn't matter if it's toyota or ford or whoever they're having to reach these epa requirements and they're right. gonna they're having to get really tricky with how they build these trucks to meet them so yep. you're starting to see things like air dams that drop down over x amount of miles per hour to help them with their drag coefficients right um which then causes aftermarket problems for us you know once you yeah, unhook right. some of those things trying to put on a new front bumper <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. And then um, as you start to unplug things, there are what's called sympathetic connections between the ECUs. So I don't know how many ECUs are in a Tundra. I know a 200 has like, 200 series has like 29 ECUs inside of it. Little brains that tell the car to how to talk to itself. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. What's an ECU? So one... There's, and, and a lot of them are sympathetically connected. So if you pull off, say, like the front air dam sensor, it triggers a bunch of sympathetic responses that say, oh, now you're, and this is not the case. I'm just making this up right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pull this one, pull this sensor off, now your ABS light comes on and your ABS system doesn't work. It's not related in functions. But it is sympathetically related because of how they're connected through the computers. Yeah. So as we get into working on new platforms, that's what we're always like, uh-oh. We're going to either have a Christmas tree on the dash, which means yeah. that you just have every light lit up, right. or you're going to have a loss of functions. And we did have some things that we had to work through. Mm-hmm. Do you recall what they uh, were? The proximity sensors, when we put the bumper on, even though the bumper had the replacement <clears throat> holes and mounts, the geometry must have been slightly different. So you'd be pulling out of a parking lot, going through a dip, and it would actually sometimes I actually had to try to mm. auto break cause it thought there was somebody right in front of me. And so that was a oh, thing. Wow. And then pulling up at a traffic light, I would be, you know, still three or four car lengths behind a vehicle creeping up and all of a sudden it'd be beep, 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 beep. It's like, no, I'm, I'm yeah. long ways yeah. away still. <laughs> yeah, right. So there was some stuff like you could still drive it, but it was just those, those lights and those warnings that we were trying to focus. And then we were able to get our guy here at the dealership to clear 
quite a few of those. Not yeah. all of them. <clears throat> and and it, we, having the connections that we do inside Toyota, have been able to like bring a lot of these things up to right. the engineering team, yeah. which is mm-hmm. what w- a big part of what we do. And like, okay, well, how can we make this better? Like, well, we need more tolerance thresholds within the sensors. Yeah. Uh, because those sensors are designed to be at a very specific angle. And that's what they're set for because it's built for a stock bumper. Yeah, they yeah. knew exactly what it was, and so they set the thresholds and lift height and all that. Exactly, and we changed everything, yep. and we didn't match exact degrees. So the sensor is doing exactly what it's designed to do. Right. We just changed the tolerance or the angle or whatever, mm-hmm. and now we caused the problem. Sensor's doing what it's supposed to. Yeah. Right. Um, so hey, can we go back in there and, and be able to adjust some of these things? And, you know, and that all that stuff just takes time. You bet. And this is the first generation of this truck. Yep. So, you know, a big part of that is going to be, especially with the aftermarket, like what yeah. we're doing, right, is going to be refining yep. how that gets done yeah. or, you know, finding ways to... And the hope is that that'll trickle down to the consumer that's doing these modifications later, and they're not going to have to run into those kind of... Right. Growing pains that we're running into with it. And that's what's cool. And we go head on into this. We know exactly. You know, <laughs> we, like, okay, yeah. we're going to have all this. Yeah. And it's part of the problem solving. It's part of the fun. It can certainly be part of the headache, but it <laughs> is part of the fun of doing and getting to do what we get to do and talk to the folks that we get to talk to. And um, so, yeah, but I, I guess other things beyond that, we have found that this truck was incredibly easy to work on mm-hmm. uh, outside of some of the sensor issues uh, that we created. Um, the aftermarket is catching up to this truck extremely quickly, extremely fast. And how, um, how does that happen exactly, Clay? Like, do, the, so do aftermarket companies, certain companies work with OEMs, or do they just buy a product from the OEM and start building around it? The answer is yes, all of those all things. Of um, different auto, manuf- auto manufacturers provide different sets of information to aftermarket Um companies, mm-hmm. uh, partners, uh, Jeep and Ram do a lot of that all the time. Uh, Toyota, I would say is definitely on the more conservative side in a lot of the engineering and, uh, work that needs to be done on a new truck has to be done after you purchase a vehicle and reverse engineer it. Uh, speaking with the folks that I know at, at Toyota, they're very open-minded about how to change that going forward, but there's Toyota has its own way, and so they're working through that right now, mm-hmm. which is exciting. It's very exciting. And uh, so I think that there's some good things on the horizon there. I know exactly why they do it. Um, they're a very conservative company. They are working for their shareholders. They have to protect the people's investments that are essentially, <laughs> if you have Toyota stock, they're working for you to make sure that their company is you know, profitable. So yeah. Yeah. because they're... Uh, conservative in that way they are very, they take a lot of these decisions very carefully um they make them carefully um yeah but, but if they can see if they're winning decisions they're going to probably move that direction if it's exactly. going to be good for the for the company exactly. and their shareholders yep. so it just takes some more time it just takes time yeah um and you know different companies risk thresholds are different right you know between them uh, for good or for bad reasons you know yeah. whatever you know <laughs> right right uh, right but so for, say like cbi They'll speak towards what they do. Like we want a new front bumper and we we want a new rear bumper and some skids and sliders and stuff like that. They will grab a new Tundra, order one off, get it, and then they 3D scan it. The tech is almost all the companies that we work with now have 3D scanner technology. And we've even looked at getting it here. Hmm. You basically hold a gun up and it lasers everything and measures things so that they can go into CAD files and start engineering uh, products that uh, fit right off the, the laser table. Wow. It's awesome. And, and, you know, it takes time and then there's a lot of fit and finish and put it up. Well, that doesn't work. Take it back off, rescan it, rebuild it. Sure. You know, so that takes time, but it's happening faster and faster. Yeah, so they have that advantage. The the aftermarket, what you're, the the tech they have is really allowing them to catch up really quickly when they have a new generation like this one out. Mm-hmm. So to your point, aftermarket's moving fast on this truck. Exactly, we're going to see a lot of development there in the probably within this first year. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Tundra and the Sequoia, and 
probably the 600 from Lexus. We, we don't get the 300 Land Cruiser here. I do know that there was what they call measuring sessions. So at the through the SEMA Auto Manufacturing Foundation, uh, yeah, aftermarket, whatever SEMA stands for. I can't think of it right now. Um, if you're part of that foundation or that association, you can go to specific measuring sessions where auto manufacturers will bring in a vehicle and then you can come in and scan it. Mm-hmm. Like they're providing it for you at, for early access before wow. most of them are like, you know, signed off prototypes. Like it's a prototype, but this is what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then allow people to come in and measure it. Sometimes they even provide those CAD files to you hmm. from things that they have done. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, there's a little so, inside window to yeah, the back end. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That. So, like, um, you know, looking at the Tundra behind you here on the screen, um, what were what were some keys? And speaking of aftermarket, right? Mm-hmm. What were the key items that we added, changed modifications that we brought in from the aftermarket to put on this new Tundra? Well, we build them from the ground up. Yeah, we have a process. Yep. We knew. So, or, yeah, I mean, we always start with tires, first and foremost. And these have, this truck has 35s, it, it looks it, like? Yep. And do we, do we have to make any mods for the 35s? <laughs> they do rub on stock suspension. They do? Yeah. On stock suspension, sure, yeah. <laughs> even, even with our suspension, we went with the Icons, we lifted it. Um, there was still rub, but it doesn't need a body mount chop to get it to go away. There's actually on this truck, the body mount is further back. That's one of the key things that you have to modify on most trucks when you go to 35s or anything quite a bit larger. There's just like this little tab that comes out from the body mount. So that just needed, it was a very simple thing, easy to cut off. And yeah, so larger tires. And then from there, we just analyze what the end goal of the truck build is going to be what we want to do with it. And then we go from there. I mean, the standard stuff that we always do are, you know, front bumper winch, um, the tires, the lift. Um, then with this one, we wanted to look at a more live in system for international travel. We didn't want to just have a little rooftop tent that we crawl a ladder up into and we have to be laying down. And that's where Alley Cab came in. And so mm-hmm. that's the probably the biggest modification was making it a very comfortable live-in system in different types of weather with the heater that we put in there as well. You know, in the dead of winter, it's going to be a comfortable truck to live in. Yeah. Well, that's where I see, like, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of blogs on truck building that we've been launching, revising, refining here lately. We have a whole series, a build series that is launching here shortly. And so we have, as Clay was saying, we have a way of building. And one of the things we do is we look at the end game, like what Mm -hmm. exactly is going to be the purpose of this truck within our fleet? What do we need it to do? We start there and then begin our build accordingly to fit that need right yeah so i and and the end result is right behind us like that's that's what we finally wind up with Mm -hmm. is a full live-in system in this case with everything we need to do the off-road use that we might be putting the truck through yeah and i'll speak for a second towards the 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 use case of this truck okay yeah so we knew from previous experience with 200s and the previous generation of tundra that it is an excellent people hauler people want to be in these vehicles and we but just by looking at it and sitting in them at the SEMA Auto Show, and when I, it was obvious that like this truck is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, awesome. We want it to haul four to five people, four on average. We're not going to do any seat deletes or anything like that. We want it to haul people. Then, as our workflow has changed within Expedition Overland, we know that we are going to need to do a lot more post production within the field. Mm. To utilize post production in the field, we need to live inside something and work within something instead of always being outside, especially under the conditions that we're going to subject ourselves to in the Nordic series. Mm -hmm. So we take the environment and the seasons. We know we're going to be there late summer, early fall, and we're going to be in Iceland in September. It's going to get cold and we have to do our job. So we are either going to be working out of the cab of the truck, which we do often, or the back of the truck. So that's why, okay, live-in system. Let's maximize the comfort, maximize the power, and be able to have two people working on computers in the back of that truck, despite the weather conditions outside. 
Cool. All right. So then it has to satisfy the other build requirements for an XO. It has to be off-road capable. We need to maximize the ground clearance through a, a bigger tire without compromising a lot of the geometry. So like going to a 37 wasn't, it, it would look cool and it would ride great. It would be, it'd be cool, but it's not the best for international long distance travel. Sure. Um, then we also wanted to match the tire size across the fleet. So all of our spares right now are universal across the vehicles. The 400 spare could be a spare for the Tundra. Wow. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, this sense. is the first Tundra to go to a six lug pattern. Even yep. though the lugs are a larger size, the pattern is the same as a 400 Tacoma, which was a big benefit. Everything's six lug. Yep. What were, what what was it previously? Five, five lug. Okay. Five uh, five by one fifty is what they were known as, and now it's back to the six. Yeah, that interchangeability would be a huge advantage with a fleet of vehicles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we're thinking that way as far as our end builds for all our vehicles is how what role do they serve in the fleet? Can we maximize interchangeability among parts and spares and all of those things, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that that definitely impacts us. So what I can also speak to, though, is that the wheel uh, wheels are different on the new Tundra. The op, this offset is should be closer to like a minus forty, if I got that right. Right now, these are a zero offset that we yeah. have on there, and they stick out a long ways, and hence why they rub. Yeah, I would be very curious. Uh, we got another Tundra probably coming up here that uh, we are going to put a thirty-five inch tire on the stock wheel with the stock offset. I wonder how bad it'll rub because the more you push yeah. a wheel, a tire out, the more it'll rub because it, it increases that turning arch. Sure. Swings. So it, it swings larger. Makes you know, sense. Uh, so it hits more stuff. Yep. I'm curious. Icon's working on a wheel right now. I know that uh, that'll fit the Tundra better and it'll tuck those wheels and the tires back under the fender wells mm -hmm. in a more tidy way, which is what we want. We will go to that wheel mm -hmm. when it's available. Yep. Yeah. And so somebody like that going to 35s, that's a, a standard upfit for a lot of people. So just to, to recap, what would be the fundamental elements that somebody might have to change, adjust, or, you know, what are they looking at if they want to take their Tundra to 35s, their new Tundra? On a new Tundra, honestly, it was just the trimming and the suspension. You need to lift the front for it to not rub that badly. Um, even with the shocks we put on, we had to crank it up a little bit more because there was considerable rubbing, and then it completely went away. Um, okay. As far as I'm it's concerned, almost though, like a like, leveling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. You just want to have a little bit more lift in the front, and the wheel offset is definitely a big factor there, yeah. which we're going to work on fixing. Um, on this truck in particular, though, with the power of the V6, with the twin turbos, and then the 10-speed transmission, I mean, it's got a ton of get up and go Man. so in other trucks okay, you know yeah. re-gearing is another major like like on our tacomas you have to re-gear if you go to right. 35s it, it's gonna be a dog uh, if yeah. you don't yeah and i'm thinking too this this new hybrid tundra when it comes out it's mm -hmm. got even more power yeah. yeah, the low end torque. It'll be a non-issue. Yeah, it's not that's a total non-issue. I mean, that, that's, that's a big Saves you so, thousands yeah. in modifications. Because, yep. yeah, when you go to 35s, you have to know what comes along with it. Yeah. And on other trucks, it's a pretty major bill. Where with this one, it's just putting the bigger tires on. And if you have the lift, you're good to go. There is, uh, our truck has some specialty stuff on it. I'll just say that. But yeah. uh, one of the things that you're going to have to... Uh, account for though is probably another upper control arm that will allow you to get your alignments in a better yeah, position. With the 35s. Yeah. And Icon already builds a billet upper control arm that will allow for those alignments to be yep. proper. Okay. Yeah, and on any truck when you lift it that much, upper control arms are a must. Yeah, so it, it, things I'm hearing, you know, with this newest generation of, of Tundra is be, because, too, the, the tech involved and what you're dealing with in a way of sophistication of engineering, and this would be true for any vehicle today, uh, be be sure of what you are doing personally. If you're DIYing it, mm -hmm. make sure you've, you've done your due diligence and know what's going on in the shop or work with a competent shop that has some experience in dealing with this level of vehicle. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's just we, a lot at stake. We've learned a lot from Dark Horse Customs here in town. That's our go-to shop. They're mm -hmm. our official shop of XO. And they, they, they have the right, they're saying the right things all the time. They're teaching us all the time. 
and what they are talking about is like is not oh yeah man those will look cool they're saying that will be nice when you put those big tires on there we need to consider some geometry changes when you hear those words, you know you're dealing with a with the right shop. guy. Yeah, yeah, because they understand any any tire shop or whatever would love to throw tires and wheels on, and they're going to make some money on there. But the the shop that's looking out for you is saying, "Hey, you're actually changing some of the geometries that your truck is engineered around. We need to consider that, and that takes a knowledge base. So make yeah. sure you're using a good shop. Checks out. So you were mentioning the Nordic series. You were mentioning the role that this tundra is going to play and the name of this tundra is orion mm-hmm. want to talk about that for a moment sure got Why? its name i think just looking towards the the sky and scandinavia and, mm-hmm. and nordic mythology but really nordic mythology doesn't have it as as orion that's a greek mythology mm-hmm. but there's consistent across European folklore, Greek, and some Scandinavian that that constellation of Orion is a hunter or archer or reaper. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. I mean, this this truck is aptly named. We we went Nordic blue with it. Um, if I do it again and had a little bit more time, I don't know if we knew the name of the truck when we wrapped it. I don't think we did. I feel like it was about the same time. All I remember with the name is it was like, once you said it, I was like, yep, Yep, that's it. That's it. (laughs) Like there was no like, well, maybe like it was like, yeah, no, that 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 fits it 100%. Yeah. When I first heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's it. And I had to do my own digging and I love Orion, the constellation, right? It's in the Southern Mm -hmm. sky. And what I remember when I did the research was if you are in the Northern hemisphere, you can always see Orion Mm -hmm. and it's in the Southern sky and it, helps you navigate before we had gps (laughs) but uh if it's it so well yeah and there's like orion's belt and like right we wanted to stretch there's like there's three trucks and (laughs) there's three stars in orion's belt (laughs) right 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 uh, so what role like uh, before we get too far into the world of greek mythology (laughs) (laughs) which i am not (laughs) i'm not a doctor um so orion's gonna serve the role uh, you said post-production, like ro- what role exactly in the fleet? So, so our audience knows, do we expect Orion to serve? How do we expect it to perform on this series? Um, so it's pretty exciting just to think of this new build out on expedition in a brand new part of the world for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's start from the front and work our way to the back. Um, so the front truck is going to be most likely, we haven't gone yet. We might talk about this. the fleet here. We're talking about the fleet, the three okay. trucks. Uh, we've got uh, the lead truck Adigan, the 2021. Yep. Yeah. Yes. 2020. Yep. We have a 2020 and 2021. <laughs> They're essentially the same. Yeah. Uh, 2021 Tacoma that we ran in the Alaska series. It's also on 35s, etc. That is our production truck that charges all of our main camera gear. Though we do spread some of that load out between Orion and the lead truck. Um, most of it is in Attigan, the former mm-hmm. truck. Production headquarters, yeah. I've heard you refer to all the it's a charging station, it's massive charging station and camera gear hauler, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And it can also haul four people because we got to put a lot of people in to move camera guys around, so there's no seat deletes in that one. We needed all the seats. Then you move back to the next um, truck, and that is the Forerunner, and it is actually towing the X3 trailer. So Forerunner is uh, is, is that it, the clone? The clone. Yep. The and clone. we built the clone years ago for Toyota, and it went on the auto show circuit. That's why it's called a clone because it was cloned off of the two Forerunners that went to South, uh, Central and South America. Okay. Um, and then we, eventually we got the clone back. Well, they gave us the clone, and now we're running it. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember. I think we I saw that at Expo. Yeah, we picked it up there. Yep, yep. So we it's back now, and it's been shipped over, and it's towing the X3 trailer. Okay, and that's really based around food and people, people gear, and getting the trailer where it needs to go, which is basically the the hub of our livability is the X3 trailer, and then third truck all the way back, the highest. I think it sits the highest out of all of them gives the best presence to the entire convoy because it yeah. sits up so high you can see the most uh is the tundra it's also the biggest truck which we want the 
like adding in the Tacoma, especially in European countries, to mm. be the lead trucks. Because if we're like, hey, can you run up that trail or run run yeah, down this little street. little road street, this narrow alleyway thing? Yeah. That right. Tacoma can do that. Let's not send the Tundra in there. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it sits in the back. And then in, in camp, it doesn't do galley, even though it does have a small fridge in there. It is built for post-production guys to go in there and work through the evening on computers and be comfortable. That's why it has the heater, all the power. It's got gobs of solar on it. Um, and it has the biggest bed being the, the five and a half, but tundra width. Uh, mm-hmm. you can, you can, two guys can very comfortably work in the back of that uh, out of the bugs, out of the cold, out of the wind, and, and do the job. So yeah, you can make a movie for you guys. It's so cool to like, you know, to have been a fan for a long time and then working here to like learn all about how our films are made and like thinking back on the earlier fleets that we had and how they ran and bringing generators along for power, right? And <laughs> camera equipment and how, how they were set up and, and to, to have watched that evolve to what you just described, both in terms of our expertise and knowledge and then the technology and vehicles we're working with today. Something like solar, for example, when you said, you know, we have gobs of solar on Orion. Um, And I remember a time when we were experimenting with that, right? And like, can we really get enough power from that? Um, Now we have heat, the, the fleet, the technology on the fleet has evolved, but so has our approach to building the fleet. Like we, it's yeah. really refined now to a way of doing things, and you can really see it in what you just said. No, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. A lot of trial and error. I remember back in the day, running off generators. I mean, hundreds of nights <laughs> right. we fell asleep to the sound of a Honda generator, one thousand, running in the background, <laughs> keeping it full of gas. And at about five in the morning, you'd hear it go blub 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 and die. And you're like, oh, Jenny's dead. And hopefully the batteries are charged. <laughs> well, you know, props. I, I mean, big props here to to Toyota. I've said this before, but when I the more I learn about what we do and and the way of making films while overlanding, the more I think that would be impossible without the right kind of vehicle that can reliably get us through all these places <laughs> oh, and keep the show going. Because if that goes down, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a real problem. I mean, you could you could shoot about kind of any movie for a short period of time out of about anything, but it, it, uh, two three days in, you're going to start yeah. having problems. Yeah, to go months and keep the energy and the morale and the fun going, that's where it's key. Yeah. Right. And yeah. just not have to worry when you turn that key what's going to happen. Yeah. It's, um, the biggest trifecta I think that has happened with our power systems, because that used to be something we worried about. Uh, all the way into South America was probably the first expedition that we really didn't worry about power as much uh, compared we're always thinking about it even now, but man, it's lithium batteries, Red Arc systems. And I'm not saying that as like a sponsor plug. It, once we got Red Arc systems and built in their efficiencies at their, at their grade of componentry and the monitoring systems like the Red Vision Manager yeah. or, or the Manager 30 and then the Red Vision systems, it gave us all the intel, and then we incorporated the solar into it. Now we are, like, seamlessly working in the field without power issues. And that used to be a lot of what we battled. Mm-hmm. In Alaska, if you look at some of the footage, we're towing an X-Venture trailer with the, two, with the 100 series Land Cruiser, and you can see that there's a cable that runs off out of the box of the X-Venture trailer in the back of the uh, 100 series Land Cruiser because the inverter at some point had failed and almost caught the car on fire. And we had to run everything off the goal zero <laughs> that was in the box of that thing and run it into the back of this car, oh, driving geez. down the road with the gate slammed on the cord. And, you know, now, now we don't do that. Everything has its place and it's a well-oiled machine. I'm so glad. We are where we are now. Holy yeah. cow. No, we're out there, you know, making films as well as overlanding. We're making films about overlanding. And so, you know, you see the production vehicle and the post-production vehicle and then the forerunner, the clone that, that handles the livability aspects of the whole team. I mean, that, that's just there's so much that goes into the thinking behind that fleet. And like I said, it's just so cool to see that all come together in this newest iteration that we're yeah. going to be using on 
filming the Nordic series. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. I, I would yeah, yeah. say just a few more things uh, to round out the discussion uh, sure. of of the truck. So we did go with the Alucab. This is one of the first Alucabs for this size of truck, mm-hmm. uh, the five foot five bed. Um, we paired that, and then we worked with Goose Gear. Goose Gear came up, and this is the first tundra that they had built out a system for with an alucab in mind so brian Mm -hmm. and steve flew up here drove up here and flew home sort of thing and uh um, measured everything out and got a lot of the prototype done so all of our organization is spotless inside that vehicle um we used a 40 is it a 40 quart fridge from national luna 40 40 liter that's 40 liter it's a small one but it's it's just perfect it's yeah, it's, it is. It's just right. And we did some fun modifications to that. We we put a hinge on it, uh, a gas strut hinge, and then we worked with Goose Gear and said, hey, can you put one of your base plates on top of this fridge so we can stand on it and use it Ooh. as another seat and all that? So we kind of modified the fridge in that way. It worked out really well. And then Wabasto, I remember the guys being up here from Wabasto. So yep. we have mm-hmm. a Wabasto heater. And we went with a gasoline heater yep. so that we had a single point of... Uh, fuel source, single fuel source, other than the propane that runs the the galleys, but that's on a different truck. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tundra is not designed to be cooking out. It's not a galley system. Uh, it, it has the ability to do that if it was on the solo trip. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what people need to understand. It's yeah. like we our vehicles in the fleet have a role, and so the galleys in another vehicle. Mm-hmm. We didn't need, like, three really awesome galleys right. when we have the amazing galley on the trailer. Right. And if a truck had to split off, give them a jet boil and a couple pots, and, and they'll be good for a couple of days, no right. problem. But, right. you know, we don't, we, we're eliminating a lot of redundancy that we don't need to keep the, tr- the fleet light. Yeah, and I think anybody who's traveling in a caravan with, with other partners, team members, could use this way of thinking to help themselves out. You know, so you don't have all that redundancy. For sure. Make some choices. Yep. Uh, some improvements that we would like to do in the future. Obviously, a long-range automotive fuel tank would be nice. This yeah. this truck has 32 gallons. Um, we're not sure of the mileage yet. We just haven't driven it enough. Yeah. We've got like 75 miles on it before we... <laughs> been you know, building we, it. Well, we drove it to Billings. You'll see all that in, yeah, uh, in the series. But that's, that's the farthest trip. we've driven it. <laughs> I just remember a radio call from Rochelle who was driving this truck to to Billings while we were all caravanning down and it was something to, to, to this effect. I love this <laughs> truck. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, and if Rochelle says that, that's, you know, with her yeah. driving skills. That's it's so something. smooth, even with everything we've done to it. Like, the steering is so light. It just, mm-hmm. it feels like a brand new stock truck. And that's saying a lot, considering yeah. what we did to it. That's one of our goals and with our builds, mm-hmm. right? Is So, I mean, ironically, maybe to some... Um, when we're finished with our build, we want it to feel as much like stock as possible, which yeah. just shows us that, right? Yep. Companies spend an enormous amount of time to get the, the, the feel of a truck right. And we as overlanders do oftentimes a very good job of wrecking that, <laughs> you know, by with all the modifications. So we want to maintain it. And this truck, uh, it, man, it drives so nice. I can't wait to get in it. Um, yeah, what? some last minute stuff. We still want uh, a rear bumper. Just hadn't been designed yeah. yet. CBI is working on that right now as we speak. We got the front bumper on there. We got a light bar in there. We got a, a worn 12,000 winch. We needed the 12,000. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to remove the air dam motor from its current location to make sure that the the winch mounted in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Red Vision system for power, 100 a dual 100 watt or amp hour lithium yep. so battle boards. Two lithium 100 amp hour batteries. Um, yeah, those are heated, right? Yeah, they're like self heated. Mm-hmm. So there's a little jumper cable, and that's huge for us in the winter. Maybe not as much on the trip, but just when you're storing it in the winter. Yeah. The lithiums it, can't charge when it's below 32 degrees. Mm-hmm. And we struggle getting all the trucks inside the shop at once and so that's going to be really nice to be able to leave it just plugged out or leave it yeah, stored and somewhere and it anybody using a battery work. like that who's traveling in the winter mm-hmm. yep. and when you are doing a winter trip it'll just help you there as well and so it's redundancy. yeah exactly yeah just redundancy and then the 400 so it has two 200 watt red arc solar panels on top 
And the and it might sound like overkill at first, but when you consider it, you're not always going to have perfect sunlight right. on any given day. So having the larger panels, you have redundancy for one. If one were to go bad or something happened, you have a 200 watt panel backup. But what we found is in Alaska is when it's a cloudy day, you're still getting usable wattage coming in. With that it may only panel. be 10 watts, but with just one 100-watt panel, you might get a half a watt or a watt. Right. So now you're actually you're still getting some usable power. But, yeah, with those things combined, I can't wait to try it all out and see how it works in the field. And for people's reference, we have so we have 200 amp hours of power, mm-hmm. which means that we have... Uh, the capability of getting down to 25 amp hours of or 50 yeah. amp hours of power before we start yep. damaging batteries. 50. And we will use somewhere around 100 amp hours of power in a single night yeah. when we're running really hard. Yeah, we need all of that so battery. We are a special use case, though. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, to Tanner's point, though, also that, you know, people, I think when they buy a solar panel, they're just imagining ideal conditions, bright, sunny day Mm -hmm. in the summer. But if you go overlanding year round and you're out in all different seasons, you know, the days get shorter. You only have so much time to gather the sun. Yep. Uh, That that extra space in solar solar panels, I think, can really pay dividends for most users. And I would say as a rule of thumb, whatever power that the solar panel has if you're in the northern hemisphere you can plan on you can rely on 33 percent of that being uh at your disposal Mm -hmm. half on a good day Mm -hmm. full charge i've rarely seen it full full wattage coming out of solar panel rarely ever seen it. yeah it's rare so run off the 33 percent rule for what you need and you'll be safe very safe. It's very conservative. Yep. That's very helpful. Anybody using solar and it's, that's been a game changer for everybody. Oh, know, it's who overlands. Huge. Yeah. Solar. Huge. Did we lose? I don't know. I just heard a beep. I did heard a beep yeah. too. Let's make sure we're still we're still rolling, but we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. The hourglass is It's been gone. gone. <laughs> the hourglass has disappeared. So, oh. all right. So, okay. So here's, I, I'm ready to wrap it up, but real quickly, one thing that and the brand new generation is truck is really exciting, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. been a long time, long awaited for vehicle platform. Uh, one thing that you're most excited about in this new generation of Tundra, like what's in top of the list? This specific one or just in general? In general, like, um, right. Gen three Tundra. What's one thing about this new generation that you're like, yes, I am looking forward to this part of... Personally, I think it's the efficiency with the new engine and hybrid option. Like, that's huge. To have more power and more fuel economy in trucks with all the trucks we're seeing from all the different manufacturers. Yeah, I love the idea of that. I love the fit and finish of the cab. I love sitting behind the wheel. And I love the amount of power mm-hmm. and the drivability at my, in my hands and at my foot. Feels so good to drive. Man, it it's is so good. Awesome to drive. <laughs> yeah, I so. love it. Well, that's. Uh, I am excited to see how it's going to perform for our Nordic series. I think a lot of people are. I'm excited for us to get it out into the field and start using it. Yeah. So, um, me too. All right, can't wait. Cool. Well. Time to <laughs> that wraps it up. But thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to us, Babylon. Uh, thanks to OnX for providing us with the ability to make this podcast. Check them out. And uh, you know what, folks? Have a great day. Go out there, get some adventure in done, and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support, and until next time, stay adventurous.